You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Brendan Patrick. Hope you had a good Christmas break, last podcast of the year. How's uh reflecting back on 2022 at this point making some resolutions for 2023 <laughs> uh yeah honestly i actually didn't even consider making resolutions maybe that's like because it's not a christmas thing but that when you said that was the first time that thought actually entered my my brain this year um reflecting back uh yeah in this pod a little bit but outside of that i had a pretty tame christmas it was very low-key i just was with my parents um my brother was there he just graduated and then him and I ran a half marathon on Christmas Day, which was fun. Um, but outside of that, I don't know. The holiday, it's weird. Holidays are, holidays like Christmas are interesting as you get older. They sort of change in meaning and, uh, and execution. Yeah, I mean, they just mean, I feel like if you don't have, if you have a tight family, but maybe you don't have children, then when you're around sort of our age, it's like, it's days off. It's time to relax and recharge and uh, spend time with the friends and family that are around and, and that's that is nice i did similar which is great uh but i was just thinking i I didn't run a half marathon Uh, i ran a half a two bottles of wine though does that count no i'm kidding uh i was thinking though news resolutions brendan if you don't make them you can't break them you know what i'm saying but we will be making some in this pod because this is episode 90 of arsenal pass where we are doing some reflections on flesh and blood in 2022 as well as some non-flesh and blood related things, but we will be looking to all things that have happened this year from events to, you know, amazing games, amazing achievements and sets that have come out this year, plus some things that we're excited for in 2023. We're going to talk about some of our big learnings from events this year, some of the things that we feel like we want to continue to build on and learn on in 2023 and just shoot the breeze, Brendan. Oh, not really. I was going to ask you about your Christmas, but you already, you already did it. So that's kind of last week in flesh and blood well, i'm assuming you didn't play any flesh and blood no um but my knee is getting better which is nice so it was just it band stuff and rolling out every day and now it, it does bother me but it bothers me at like mile five and then a little bit like mile nine it's honestly my biggest limiter at this point but it's not doing what it was doing like a week ago where i like couldn't run the day after or stuff so it, it it's very good news for me i was like when that creeped up i was like gosh dang it <laughs> So I'm happy about that. It's a Christmas miracle. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, my Christmas miracle is hitting infinite and Marvel Snap finally. Jesus Christ. It was, uh, <laughs> it was a rough season. Yeah. Um, it, was, it, it was funny. I, a little anecdote here. I know we're, on, we're talking flesh and blood, but this is just a funny story of like how my psychology works with Marvel Snap. I've been playing it for quite a while this season, and I had a bit of a rough time, like turbo to ranking 90, and then was really struggling from there. Um, and it's honestly just because I was being an idiot. I hopped on with Sasha. He barely knows anything about Marvel Snap, and I just talked it out with him, and we hit infinite in like two days. Because <laughs> I just slowed down, actually talked out my plays and stopped like monkey snapping people. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it was easy. I thought you had to immediately snap. I thought that was the game. <laughs> Sasha was like, from he was like outside perspective, just observing my losing psychology on Marvel Snap, and it's pretty funny. Like, no reflection, just like insta cue. <laughs> He's just freaking me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love it. I love it. Uh, likewise, no flesh and blood really this week. Just it's 
it's holiday week, like you say. So enjoying the weather, enjoying time with friends and family. But let's get into some news, Brendan. Uh, this we have our first spoiler for Outsiders. We saw we have Assassin in the set. I don't think necessarily a massive surprise, but uh, I guess the first card we do see comes in the form of. Did you did you hear how this got previewed? How this got spoiled? It mm. was like so. There was an article that came out on Alice's website. And then there was a hyperlink and an apostrophe at the end of a sentence. And if you clicked on it, it took you to the card. So uh, I think it took someone like literally an hour to find it. But uh, now we have our first preview card, which is a, a ranger attack reaction. So a lot of speculation going on about what that means we will see for for this uh, set. You know, are we going to see a fully non-talented set? Are we going to see the four heroes that were in the shitty Christmas present art, which includes Dash, Azalea, Arachne, and uh lena the alchemist brendan mm. i've heard that you'd be pretty excited if we got alchemist yeah just give me the alchemist i don't care about any of those the um the assassin though is good news like i feel like that class in its current state um from dynasty is a. Uh, it just feels like old like old school prism where it's just like okay if we set a few more pieces here this deck would broken. be a bit yeah <laughs> it might be broken yeah i don't know about broken i don't know about that level prison but it might just be more fun and you might be able to play the deck uh, a bit more dynamically so i'm excited for assassin in terms of that but yeah the alchemist would be quite exciting um yeah it's just like because you think about alchemist you think about potions right and you think about potions you think about permanence on the board and that stuff is always fun we have a lot of potions that are currently being unused from everfest so maybe that could provide some some opportunities for class constructed or blitz to see some of those being used perhaps, perhaps. i burned it all as firewood this winter so i'll have to buy some new ones <laughs> you're not using them to throw at the wall Mm-mm. no okay fair enough well yeah so a lot of uh, i guess we'll find out more as we head into outside this previous season i mean it's not actually really that far away we have january with proquest season february leads us into a couple of callings but by the time we get into end of feb where we're into previous season so yeah, it'd be interesting to see what we get. I think with Assassin, the one concern I've had about Assassin with Limited and the reason I guessed it was in a supplemental set is like that ability that we see on Arachne and some of the Assassin cards and the way they work with contracts and banishing cards doesn't feel like a particular sort of archetype that you want to see in Limited. Um, so that's really interesting. But yeah, immediately it already gives me Arcane Rising vibes. I don't know about you. Everyone's favorite Limited set in terms of like how bad it will be no or? no i think just seeing the first preview card it being an assassin card it being a card from uh, the pits it just it just reminds me yeah. of of arcane so, rising yeah. you scared me dude yeah so arcane rising is bad because there's no weapons and there's some op cards uh i think people complain a little bit too much about induction chamber for how much it shows up but yeah dude that <laughs> That sealed format is honestly miserable. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. But it's not even it's not, induction chamber is whatever. It's just it's just a boring that arcane rising was a boring limited format. The draft was okay, mm. but the seal format is just like here's my this forty pile. Yeah, here's my forty card viscerite pile, and you can even have like a really solid azalea deck and still just be so hard to win games. I wouldn't mind revisiting arcane rising, potentially doing a draft or a sealed. Now that we're down the road with the game in terms of player skill and ability, I'd love to see. You know, even just myself, would love to revisit it. Maybe we can we can do some Arcane Rising Seal. Brendan, we haven't played a game in a while. Maybe we could, you know, why not play Arcane Rising Seal? That'll make us feel really good about ourselves. So I played an Arcane Rising draft, the team draft in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, oh, yeah. When I was there. Yeah. And I don't know why they picked Arcane Rising. It's because they hadn't played it. But um, I think we, we opened more packs than we should have. Uh, that's 
the main thing I remember. And they're like, yeah, let's do it. I was like, oh, I thought it was supposed to be like this amount of action. Like, no, it's more fun this way. I was like, okay. And uh, of course, I was the only one drafting wizard, and I had this like a freaking constructed deck. It was it was fun. Did you also draft all of the equipment to hate draft the equipment for people? <laughs> Well, I actually did pass an induction chamber to the other team, and that your player, team would have been pissed. Uh, they were, yeah. My well, Flake was on my team, and that uh, my team got destroyed by that induction chamber. Luckily, I was able to burn it out on Wizard, but yeah. So, what was your team's uh, I record? Uh, I don't know. We won, but oh, either we okay. either we tied or we won by one game. I can't remember. I was a little inebriated, to be honest. This is why I don't want Brendan on my team, though. He passes induction chambers to, to his opponents. I, for, I forgot I was team drafting, <laughs> to be honest. As soon as I passed it, I was like, ooh. Yeah. So Race's Edge. This is the Assassin Attack Reaction. I didn't actually name the card. Uh, if you haven't seen it already, it says Target Attack Action Card with Stealth gains plus three. And it costs zero. This is a red that we're seeing. So I guess we don't know what Stealth is at this point. Also speculation around Stealth. Does it mean you can't block with attack actions? Does it mean that cards with certain power can't defend the cards? A lot of speculation about what stealth will be we will see i think it feels like something to do with attack actions whether that be power or just you can't defend with attack actions but we will see um very exciting brendan moving on put out a guide to kano this week brendan ultimate guide to kano as i'm calling it uh mm. it's for everything from beginner to advanced really go through the wildfire combo as well a lot of the, uh, the math cheat sheet is in there, Brendan, which I know you love for playing the Kano Wildfire combo, which you can go and check out. That is up now on our Surpass YouTube channel. And uh, there is also a full cyborg guide and deck guide that goes along with the deck tech that is in that video up on the Arsenal Pass Patreon. Uh, I do have a dash deck tech coming in the next week or so, about from the time this pod drops, early Jan. And uh, uh, I don't know, Brendan, anything else to say? I just want to just say as we get to this end of year firstly a massive thank you to all the arsenal past listeners for your support this year everyone that we've met in events that's come up to us and uh, thrown their support behind what we've done this year the videos deck techs all the people have come on and been guests for our our deck techs and uh different videos that we've done over the years or over the year rather as well as all of the arsenal past patrons just a big thank you Brendan. anything you want to say before we move on to the commander cookout i echo the thank you um i mean our channel the the arsenal pass sort of channel brand whatever you want to call it I mean, it saw a lot of growth in 2022, and I feel like it realized a lot of the growth as well because we were able to experience it in person at the Pro Tours. Um, Orlando was pretty late in 2021, if I recall mm -hmm. uh, correctly as well, which is sort of your first exposure to, you know, people in the U.S. And yeah, it's just it's 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 awesome. And we're gonna dig into it in this in this main topic, but it is quite quite a life experience we have been able to um, sort of have over 2022. I've been listening to a lot of content people have been putting out or reading a lot of content that people have been putting out for the end of year. And just when you look back at some of the things that happened in 2022, it's just, it's been an amazing year for Flesh and Blood. And like you say, we're, we're going to dive into it, but it's so many things have happened this year. I can't believe that in January, you know, 12 months ago, less than 12 months ago, we didn't even have Everfest. We've gone through Everfest. We've gone through Uprising. We're now into Dynasty. We've had... Pro Tours, World Championships, National Championships, Pro Quest Seasons, Road to National Seasons, two skirmish seasons, I think, uh, as well as, you know, three sets when all things are all said and done. So it's crazy to think that's happened over the course of 12 months. Um, cool. Let's move into the Command and Cookout section. We have a great question here from Joe. Uh, Joe E. Motherson, a little bit earlier in the year, actually, but I've just circled back around to it because I thought it was a great question and something that... I've heard come up recently more again, sort of post-World Championship. So Joe says, I really enjoyed the recent episode with Michael Hamilton. This is now going back to, I think, like episode 70-something. 
Um, and have been trying to start thinking more in terms of value about my plays. However, I love Dromai and find that she's a very difficult hero to apply that logic to. She has so many conditions that need to be fulfilled in playing and pitching reds. Valuing Ash and Dragons also seems quite difficult. For example, what is my Kyloria really worth? I had to previously ensure a red pitch. A red is pitched to get the Ash on the field, which changes the value decision with whenever that play was, with whatever that play was. Then whenever my opponent has a popper heavy deck or is not a factor so or how easily efficiently they can clear the next turn i think you see the issue how would you approach using a value using value to guide a deck building with dromai i suppose this applies to other champs too but seems very relevant in this case um the reason i picked this question Brent, is because i think dromai is going to see a lot of play in ProQuest season three i think it's a hero that is i don't know if i was to put it right now i might put it in the top six decks in the format i think the the way we're seeing dromai being built now bit more aggressive slanted a bit more tuned uh, removing some of the lesser needed dragons and just putting good cards into the deck has seen draw my i think improve and i think this is a good question is like how do you value a dragon if you have to you know it's one card say it's, say it's like a chromite right i know joe uses a color example it's like it's chromite well it's just one card for a, a dragon that has three attack but there's an ash that goes into it you know there's there's these other things that that go into it as well as a card that you've used so i wanted to start by talking about what the value of an ash is like in brendan what in what in your mind is the value of an ash token is it a is it a full card is it is it half a card is it a quarter of a card do you have like a, a value trying to sign to ash or is it just is it just ash mm, it's not just ash because you have to generate it you know like you have to keep that like the way you build your deck has to be sort of around ash right if mm -hmm. you're using cards that utilize that to transform into it so it's not it's not nothing it has a value but the value is definitely not one <laughs> it's not a full so, card right yeah absolutely not so i would definitely and this is pro this is a bit of a complicated topic so i'm just riffing off the top i would value it somewhere between 0.5 and below yeah i think you're right so if we look at something like a sweeping blow and you look at that creates an ash so at one cost for three with go again gives you an ash creates you an ash so you're attaching if you were to look at any other card that kind of has that text line it would probably have four attack in a class so that ash is worth about one damage that's what you want to try and i think make your ash worth most of the time so if you're pitching a red to play a let's say you already have one ash in play and you pitch your red to play a one cost a one cost dragon or a a centipede or something if you're pitching that red card so that you can just get the ash that's a that's a big you could just also on like two resources if it was a blue for just that ash so you, those are the things i think the ways you can weigh up your ash and what's it's worth it could be worth often it could be worth two resources it can be worth about a point of damage it can be worth somewhere around just under half a card like brennan says is what it seems to be that an ash is worth uh, when it comes to to joe's question so if you're looking at how do you use this kind of value approach that players like hamilton and a lot more players are, are using in this kind of more modern era of deck building when it comes to getting the most out of their turn cycles and, and their deck building in general i think you have to understand well if i want to play a card like kyloria i want to make that card cost as little as possible to get the most value out of it so if you're able to make consistently that ash be worth a point of damage less than half a card you know maybe max a resource or two i think you're going to be able to say that your kyloria just for, to be able to play it is worth about a card and a half just based on what we just talked about and i think if you can get your what is color it's a one for four right it has two two defense and has an on hit effect and if you get to come in with that on the first turn that you play it and it be a relevant on hit effect because you don't have you know a card in hand already that you want to arsenal then 
that's a pretty good, you know, a card and a half for four damage in a card is a, is a pretty good rate of return, right? Mm. Or an energy potion. Maybe you steal an energy potion. Yeah. I feel like when we've had conversations with Michael Hamilton about the way he looks at value and looks at cards in Flesh and Blood, he usually doesn't pay too much attention to like that kind of nuance, right? I feel like he mm-hmm. looks at it in a much more simplistic way because we've had that combo with him in terms of like looking at Wizard. Because if you look at all of Wizard cards, they're underrated. But how do you value Aether Wildfire? How do you value the on-hit effect of Aether Spindle? And from what I understand, when we talk to Michael, is that he doesn't value them. Um, well, he looks at realized. Of, he looks at realized yeah. effects, right? Realized damage. Exactly, yeah. So like the opt, turboing through the deck, right? Drawing with tomes, like... You know, just get, seeing more cards. It's like those th- that nuance usually isn't is doesn't make it in. But I think it's important. I agree. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think that's why if you're looking. But to get back to the main point, if you're listening to the episode with Michael Hamilton and you're like, oh, how does this apply to Kyloria making Ash having red cards having go again this permanence on the board and poppers? Um, usually, I, I, from what I understand, Michael doesn't really factor this stuff in. He just looks at kind of the raw value of the, call, the card. Uh, yeah, but so. The go again, for instance, is, is raw value. So you can, mm-hmm. the problem is, is that you can't, there's no arbitrary value you can assign to these. You can't say an ash is worth exactly half a card or it's worth exactly one point of damage or it's worth exactly two resources because it's contextual on the, how that ash is created. But what you can do is mm-hmm. you can think about well, what is the most common way that I create an ash? And if the most common way you create an ash is through incidental value, like if it's off a sweeping blow, it's off pitching a red when you don't need any more resources in your turn. So if you pitch a red card and you only need one resource to do all the damage that your hand can do anyway, then you mm-hmm. haven't lost value on that, right? You've you've gotten that ash for some some pretty good value. So let's say your hand is like, I don't know, just simplistically, two Chromai, a Kyloria, and, uh, and, and a red card that doesn't matter. And you already have two or three ash in play. If you play that hand out and use that red card to pitch for the Kyloria, then you haven't lost value on that hand. But if you, you know, if you used a blue, say that covers a blue, well, you've made this ash, but you know, there's two resources sitting here that aren't doing anything for, for whatever reason. Or maybe that red card was a friggin' third chromite and you've had three or four ash and now you've lost the, the ability to play that third chromite. There is there is reasons where you will lose value, but it's it's contextual. And that's why I say, I think you can try and maybe just kind of assign a value to that ash based on what your deck is doing. If you're trying to, if you are trying to assign a value, which I think is important for understanding how good Kyloria is, because if it's actually costing mm-hmm. you, you know, if, if your Ash costs you a card every single time to make an Ash because you're pitching a red there and then you have to pitch another card just to play out your hand because your deck is full of like, I don't know, Embermore Centipies, for instance, mm-hmm. and you're, you're paying a full, a full card just to be able to create that Ash, then your Kyloria is now worth, it's now costing you three cards. It's costing you the card to pitch for it. It's costing you the Kyloria itself, and it's costing you the card that you had to use to create an Ash. Now Kyloria all of a sudden doesn't look worth it, right? Whereas if your Kyloria is costing you you know, one damage from your sleeping, sweeping blow, so less than half a card. You're using the extra two resources off a of blue you pitched to actually play the Kyloria, plus the Kyloria, well, yeah, you're like a card in a little bit if I, if I call it if I, for Kyloria. Sounds like a much better trade. So I think, Joe, and to answer anyone who's looking at kind of the value of my cards, you want to get your Ash as cheap as possible, and you want to understand, based on what your deck is doing, how much that Ash is really costing you, probably on average. Mm-hmm. Are we gonna yeah, see I think this, the sweeping blow example is a good example for like how that translates into uh, like the realized value of the ash and the Kyloria. Pitch value is harder because yeah, 
how often should you be pitching yeah it's like you know you know it's even harder than that the opponent's poppers <laughs> like an expected yeah. poppers in the opponent I, I don't even think that's factored in right it's just like that's where you get out of the realm of value and you look at sort of game plans right mm-hmm. so if i'm playing against a guardian that has all poppers well maybe now i'm setting up a ghostly touch with my time to tap potion and my um Whatever the one that clears phantasm, you know, semblance or the other or mm. the permanent or that you can put on the battlefield. So Pierce reality. That's that's not a vet. Yeah, uh, Pierce reality. I think it's the plus two. It's the other one, maybe. Yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, that's not a very value way oriented way of looking at the game. It's like I know that the only way I can win this game is like with these sequence of cards, and I think that flesh and blood just boils down to that sometimes when you get into the sort of more complicated um, matchups like that. Yeah. So one thing I think you can do, I just wanted to answer Joe's question about poppers because you were saying you're probably not valuing them as a game plan thing. I think that's mostly true. I think if you know that your opponent has a popper, so whether that's you're playing against a deck that is like Guardian just has infinite amount of poppers or Brute or you know that your opponent has one in hand for whatever reason, say against Runeblade, when you play out your dragon, you don't have to attack with the dragon, right? You don't have to attack the dragon. But if you do, what you're saying is, okay, I'm offering a trade to my opponent for my dragon for their popper. And then that's the value of your your dragon at that point. You're valuing it at one card from your opponent's hand and you have to understand how good that card is from your opponent's hand. If it's, you know, you're trading it for a uh, runic reclamation against a rune blade and you have a blue aura on the field, that's a pretty good, that might be a really good trade for you, mm-hmm. for instance. Whereas if you're trading it for the Brute's worst card in hand, which is a yellow smash instinct, which they don't really need to do any damage on their turn, what's well, a pretty bad trade for you, right? So it, it just it's, can be contextual again on what the value of it is, but it all comes down to, while the value of Ash and the value of your dragons when you play them, a lot of the time comes down to the value of what you're doing on the opposite side, the value of your dragons when it comes to poppers, it's all about the value of your opponent's side. What What's the value of that popper in their hand if they're going to actually defend with it? You know, sometimes the decision is, well, if I get the popper out of the hand, it's worth way more damage than if I just didn't lose my dragon here. Um, so that's kind of how I would look at it. But I do think when you're playing it's heavy popper decks, like Brendan's saying, it's more about what your actual game plan is. And I think you're, you're in sort of inbuilt value of Dromai and your dragons. You've already gone and done all that work with your deck building. Now you've just got to come up with the right game plan to make sure you can leverage those. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting one because we're talking about trying to assign the value to the individual card. I also think when it comes to permanence and things like dragons on the field, you can look at the sort of expected and average value over a series of turns, right? Because that Kylorius sits there for two or three turns, you attack, you know, you expect to attack twice with it. The, the value of the card goes significantly up. So it's like, what's sort of my floor and what's my ceiling with this card? Yep. And yeah. Well, what's the average? I think is the question you need mm-hmm. to answer. And in, in an average game against what I'm expecting to play in the field, what is my Kyloria worth on average or in any given matchup, what's it worth on average? This is the tough thing about my kind of problem I have with everyone sort of defaulting to this sort of value oriented thinking when it comes to deck building and gameplay is that um, the average value of a card is actually the most important and that can vary wildly, but also opportunity cost isn't considered in this. So let's use an example, right? Sweeping Blow creates this ash that allows you to play Kyloria, but that's almost a deck building restraint that you've had to put mm-hmm. Sweeping Blow into your deck. Like if you didn't have to care about ash, would you want to play a one for three that is go again? No, right? You, you you look at other cards that could potentially be in that slot. So there's also opportunity cost to playing a card like Sweeping Blow. Maybe you have to play yellows because you really need to make ash in your deck or blue or whatever. That card's kind of bad, right? Just on its own. But what it does is enables another card. So you have to look at opportunity cost, which I think we don't really do. And we talk about this kind of value-oriented way of deck building and, and playing in Flesh and Blood. But 
it is it is there and it's it gets yeah. more complicated with a deck like Dromai that has more opportunity because like if you so michael hamilton talks a lot about a lot about it with icelander right where it's like well icelander's cards are kind of you know wizard cards like you say below rate but when you're looking at yeah. a card like wounded bull for instance that's really easy to evaluate mm-hmm. it's like two cards for seven or eight and the opportunity cost of those cards is probably always going to be lower because of what wizard is but when it comes to something mm-hmm. like dromai or these other decks that have a lot more sort of interconnected things with their, their cards and rely on their cards for different things it becomes a lot more difficult to make this equation so dromai is probably the hardest to do this with Yes, uh, there's there's another funny one. Food for thought. Like uh, you talked about, you know, the importance of the average, right? The average expected value of the card. Well, if the wildfire is a card where the average is irrelevant, um, so there's the floor, right? Which is when you crucible plus a wildfire in your main phase because you have redundant copies, or maybe that's like going to win you the game because your pun does arcane barrier. But the average is actually irrelevant in that card. And the floor is kind of two because the only thing that matters is the ceiling because the deck only operates off of getting the ceiling out of Aether wildfire pretty much. It's funny, I would disagree with that because I would say that you have an expected value of what your combo is going to do. So if you know that the baseline of your wildfire combo with Lessons and Lava is 26, right? But you know that you can make that 36 pretty consistently with Tunic Counter, right? You're like, I know I can pretty consistently make this 36 or 31 as I think is more, more average, right? But in any given matchup, I expect my opponent to have X amount of Arcane Barrier available in that turn. You can assign an average value of that wildfire, I think. Like, I don't think... I get what you're saying, like, in terms of it's the mm-hmm. win condition. It's all that you're that, that this deck is particularly about. But I do think you can still give it... So, for instance, I think wildfire is worth a lot more in a matchup uh, against aggressive decks than it is against mm-hmm. a deck like a slower Guardian Dynamic deck, for instance. average values. Yeah. Like, yeah. But, uh, yeah. This, yeah, I'm here, I hear what you say. I think you actually, I think you might be right, too. This I think you're like, right as so well, funny. though. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's so funny. That That's the thing. Is uh, We've talked with Michael about this many, many times. Like, I've had private conversations with him, too, at tournaments, like, all the time. Because these things come to, like, this happens all the time. It's like, okay, Michael, your way of thinking about this uh, is obviously like almost objectively correct, right? Like it it works perfectly with what you're doing with Icelander, what you're doing with Oldham. Okay, but how does this apply to Kano? And it's like, well, it doesn't. <laughs> like yeah. it, it just kind of it just kind of doesn't. Uh, and Dromai is a bit similar because of the permanence on the board and like how long do they stay? Yeah, it just gets a bit funky. But I let me just say I empathize with where you got confused with like applying it to Dromai because um, it's not yeah. easy. Yeah. yeah. It's tough. The other thing as well is I think a lot of players who have been around Flesh and Blood longer have inherently done this when they've built decks. I think it's just been an inherent thing of like, what is the value of your average hand in a game? What is the value of the sort of average card in your in your deck when you draw it? I think this was kind of inherently done because Welcome to Wraith was so value orientated, to be honest. Like you just, you had to be because there just wasn't enough damage in the game. There was so much fatigue happening in that match in the, those matches because or games going to like second, third, fourth cycle because there just wasn't as much damage. There wasn't as much explosivity of five cards. As the game has grown and matured, we've moved to these sets that have been a lot more about five card hands and big bursts of damage and aggressive sort of decks that are above rate. And so I think people's thinking moved away from this value, you know, this value kind of understanding when they're deck building to just like, what is a card, like how much damage do these cards do when they're in my hand? Which is fine but this is such a we could go down a rabbit it's so hole funny. here it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's such a ramble too because like um so i was a part of creating that the uh, the fatigue deck that dominated that format and i will tell you right now that it was the sort of philosophy that went behind it was not a michael hamilton 
way of looking at the game, like an individual card evaluation on value. It was actually just a synergistic way, which is not what the deck is doing. The deck is outvaluing the opponent, but it was like a synergistic thing. It's like, okay, we came from the perspective of like, if I block with my recursive red card and charge of brutality mm-hmm. or like my crappy blue cards and I trade them for your red cards, if we go through, you know, an hour of gameplay, you run out of you run out of good cards, and I keep this drone of brutality in my deck forever, and now I have a good card, and then you don't. Uh, we did actually didn't even think about it like that, except for Flick Flack. Flick Flack is freaking ridiculous. You, you look at the expected value of Flick Flack when your deck is all blue combo cards, you're like, oh my god. <laughs> um, anyway. We should go to the main topic. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. I was I was just gonna say last thing I was gonna say on that was you I think the reason that drone was so strong and that you already looked at it that way though you go well you know it defends for two but inherently recurs my opponent on average is getting three to three enough damage out of a red which is what was happening in that set like getting more than like three enough damage that's why defense reactions are so strong but yeah anyway great question joe uh we could go on this topic for ages i think my last parting words on this topic are when it comes to the average value of cards i think we've it's pretty simplified right now in the way it's looked at but I think if you're doing any kind of deck building, you, you you should be trying to understand what the average value of your card is, even if it's at a base level to understand what you're actually getting value-wise out of this card. Because I think it leads to just better deck building, just tighter deck building, and cards that probably shouldn't be in your deck are not going to be in there because you're going to go, oh, base level, mm-hmm. like, this card isn't worth it. And you're going to be able to yeah. identify it pretty quickly. Yeah, you'll be able to look at your Yellow Wisp of the Oracle and be like, mm, maybe that wasn't <laughs> a good choice for the Pro Tour. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Z-Bun. <laughs> If you do want to get your questions in for the Commander Cookout, you can do so at arsenalpass at gmail.com. You can drop them in the comments below on YouTube. You can tweet at us, DM us, whatever you want to do uh, to get your questions. And we definitely have some spots for some questions in 2023 on the Commander Cookout. Brendan, like you say, main topic of the pod, 2022, Flesh and Blood, a year in review. This week's pod is all about diving into some of our favorite memories from this past year, our biggest learnings, our moments of growth, what we're taking away from our year in competitive pro Flesh and Blood, our goals and focuses for next year, and things you want to improve on and plan to get better at. There's some cool sort of, I think, takeaways from this. But first of all, Brendan, we're going to start. We're going to start with the fun stuff. So I'm just going to fire some questions at you, and then we're both going to kind of throw our answers out there, maybe discuss a little bit, reminisce, whatever it comes of it. What's your favorite event? What was your favorite event of 2022 and, and why? Yeah. Well, for me, it's Pro Tour number one. Um, it, nothing else just, ugh, I don't know. All the other events didn't sort of capture the same energy. Um, Pro Tour number one was just really special. Maybe that was just for me. Um, it was it was more of like my individual viewpoint, but being able to come together with players from all over the world that we had been hearing about for a long time. You know, there was all these narratives going into it. I was seeing my friends from you know Haydendale, Sasha. All these people came together for this in the singular tournament, and it like I don't know. The energy was just electric, and um, yeah, I, I was very happy to have brought Kano to that that tournament. I feel like it was a big a big stretch for us at that time. We had the thought of wanting to like you know me and Sasha back in 2019 were you know we would talk for fun about bringing. You know, or it's actually like 2020 because Arcane Resident come out. We would talk for fun about bringing Kano to like a like a pro tour. Like, oh, this class this class is so funky. Let's bring it to the first pro tour. This is before they even announced it. Like, it was just such a pipe dream. And I feel like we really, really worked hard on that deck, and it, it felt good to bring it to the tournament and put a player in top eight with it because it was. I don't think it was on. It was on almost nobody's radar except for maybe Alexander Four. <laughs> 
Yeah, I wonder how I'd feel about PC1 if I ended up playing Dash, which is the deck that I <laughs> just didn't bought with me. I really liked my Dashes. I mean, the Dashes that I had at that time is now, I think, like the base of what people are doing with Dash. It's like, it's just maximum velocity, Tekla pounded dot deck. And I think that's really, we see how powerful it is. It's one of the best decks in the format right now. But uh, at the time against Starvo, yeah. Anyway, my, my favorite event of 2022 was also PT1. I think just all the things you said, but it felt so natural to to have this event happen and to see just the way people reacted to it and what was happening in that venue and the way that the event went i just got to sunday of that event and thought this is this is what flesh and blood is going to be we're going to continue to see this for the foreseeable future this isn't going anywhere this is a success this is the things that it was all meant to be and it it feels so right if that makes sense and it just Mm. had an amazing time and i think it set the benchmark for what pro tours need to be moving forward uh which we'll talk a little bit down further but i think alexis yeah. may not have quite lived up to to finish out the year but i i have hope for 2023 uh which we'll talk to but <laughs> this is what pro tours are meant to be get smacked in the face by leal like welcome to france well it was the best pt1 was the best venue of the year i think it was i don't think it was the best run event of the year i actually think leal from like a uh a round-to-round standpoint was run better but it pt1 was done really really well it had the biggest calling at the time it had you know it had, yeah the calling was a nightmare at pt1 though just a little a little side note yeah, uh, yeah. It, it wasn't for well, us it was the, yeah it was capped and many, many people didn't actually get to play from what i understand yeah over 100 people i think uh most memorable game in 2022 do you have a game that stands out to you as the game that you'll re- remember good bad otherwise in 2022 do you want to guess? I've, I just looked at the notes, so I saw it. So <laughs> it would have yeah, it, it would have been the game, uh, I guess, though. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So it was uh, Indianapolis Everfest meta, class constructed, top eight winning in. I'm on Prism. Deerud is on Starvo. I probably would have bet the house at some point in that game that I was going to win that game. I knew that Awakening was the only out um, towards the end. I knew that he could only beat me with Awakening. I was playing towards that. And lo and behold, he does Awakening me, but then he Natty draws the blink with the fuse. Um, and I lose in that game. It was actually, it's not what killed me. It was the Pulse of Voltaven, the turn after, uh, which really put me in a, yeah. put me in a bad spot. But that game for many reasons was my most memorable game not because of the way it ended surprisingly even though you know i maybe just recapped a bad beat (laughs) on arsenal pass but um no i mean going into that match um i had actually had a pretty rough time in flesh and blood before indianapolis Uh, i had mono i just it was it sucked (laughs) um and i've been performing really bad like that pro quest season i did not do well at all and I mean, I would just go and like leave tournaments. I, like I actually felt really ill because the mono too. But um, that that tournament, I practiced and I showed up and I felt very, very good playing it. So it was, it just felt it was very reassuring to be able to get back into it. Um, and I felt very good throughout that tournament. And that match was um, pretty important for me because you know coming from flesh and blood being my first TCG, playing this one and in at Indianapolis after going on this just crap streak and I'm playing a ver- playing against a Magic the Gathering Pro Tour champion sitting next to Matt Rogers in the uh in the the feature match like there was just a lot of things going for me there and it was just a cool experience even though I lost and um I think I lost in a cool way as well <laughs> <laughs> love losing in cool ways uh yeah I actually thought 
for some reason I thought that your I just remember the Dallas top eight was the end of 2021 but there was a great mm-hmm. game on camera that you had in in that event uh with mm-hmm. with Lexi where you just yeah. uh dismantled some people with that Lexi deck from draft but for me I think my most memorable game in 2022 harking all the way back to January was my my nationals final uh instant classic being memorialized in a a bit of a meme yeah, meme <laughs> if you haven't seen it i'll try and find the link and put it in the description someone made a, a full animated video about this final uh where i played against ultim in the final of my nationals and i think memorable not because of that game being obviously the final of nationals and and winning the event but i was so friggin nervous in that game i've never been more nervous to play a game of flesh and blood in my life because I knew it was going to be a very, very atypical game. I knew what my opponent was likely going to do based on their deck being so defensive. I knew what I needed to do to win the game, but I'd only played that out, that scenario out like once or twice in in testing. So I was like so nervous to like stuff it up on camera. Um, and I knew that it was going to be such an odd game to watch. And I knew it was going to be a game that would have really fine margins, even though the game looked like I should be winning by a massive amount. And it did. It came down to me comboing off not killing my opponent and then having to kill them the next turn uh which was like one or two points of damage in it to be able to, to be able to win the game so um my most memorable game of, of 2022 i think so many so many games though i mean we we played what two 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 pro tours three pro tours on the side multiple callings this year nationals etc so there's a lot of games to to remember um also we've played some games versus each other so i'm sure there's some games there that you know all the ones I lost, I don't remember though, so I don't know. That's like pretty much every match on camera, to be honest. I had, a, I mean, it was pretty True. memorable. Pro tour number, pro tour number one, round one. I'm on stream. I'm against freaking Boost Dash. What the hell are people doing with Boost Dash here? Brian Kong. Um, right? Yeah, Brian Kong, which I I got that one back in 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 Wheel, by the way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I played a Sonic Boom and flipped an Energy Potion. I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> what deck did I just bring to this? Yeah, everyone in the comments going, Kano. <laughs> uh, your what are the, what are the funniest moment in Flesh and Blood in 2022? Yeah, I think it, honestly, uh, it, this is a hard one because there might be a there might be something I'm forgetting, but it was pretty funny when I was live at the World Championships and uh, Flake. I was casting with Flake, and he's supposed to introduce the the names and the people that's like his role he's like hey why don't you take it and i was like okay whatever um and then we go to that 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 card with the player names and they're two just like just a series of consonants like polish names and i'm just like uh you got this one because i'm pretty i think i don't know if flake is polish or but he has some sort of affinity to be able to pronounce polish names maybe because he did gwent i'm going connection Uh, yeah exactly yeah but it was just like such a setup yeah it was literally a a mirror match between two two polish players you know Mm -hmm. remember that uh all the dante del fico moments unfortunately were in 2021 otherwise it would probably be a well some of them were at worlds which was was great uh there was a part there was a a point at worlds where i was filming dante and he said i said dante how are you feeling he said don't put this on on your video my mom's gonna see this (laughs) Oh yeah, his mom. I think. Wait, he was being serious. Though, he was right? being serious. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's funny. Uh, just I we had a, we did a team draft at PT One, and that's some of the fun, the funnest games and the, the most enjoyable moments I've had of Flesh and Blood. Just the banter and seeing Brendan and Zach Bun just <laughs> throwing barbs at each other across the table, uh, and all in good fun, obviously. But uh, 
Yeah, that was. I think I, I blacked out during that one. I don't remember anything. Yeah, that's because you O three. I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> favorite non fab activity to fab trip this year, Brennan. Uh, well, speaking of Mr. Bun, uh, yeah, my favorite non fab activity was uh, the many dinners and cocktails with the Wolfpack. I don't know if I'm supposed to say that ruin people's immersion on the rivalry, but um, yeah, we will often get dinner with them and sometimes partake in in a few drinks a little too. it's it's just a great time we like we literally do it every single time it's it's awesome yeah uh i spent a lot of time in singapore when i went to the to the calling got a, most of a week in singapore and that was probably my favorite non-fab activity this year was spending that country is awesome if you haven't been brendan i don't think you've been before but you should you should get there it's a great country um great part of the world most hated card of 2022 we presented a, a speedy award for flake for the most hated card in 2022 and we both were a bit vexed by it being uh revel in room blood so i thought i'd give you this opportunity to bring your most hated card of 2022 the, the card that caused you the pain frustration or just dominated a lot of your testing focus well bravo star of the show uh <laughs> honorable mention to aces of spite but bravo star of the show was terrible game design and what was really irritating about bravo is that i felt like legend story studios would not acknowledge that that card was a mistake for the longest time and it was just like so glaringly just <laughs> disgusting and they're like yeah you know you just because at that time my friend sasha was working there he's like what do you mean you just fatigue it and i was like dude shut up like <laughs> he's been saying this to me since chain he's like yeah you just fatigue it i'm like dude uh yeah terrible advice from that guy but then they were also then they came back with the yeah well in testing it lost a plunder run and i'm just like Dude, come on. The lightning briar <laughs> and plunder run. Tell tell me you didn't actually test the fuck the the most obvious deck of that of Starvo without telling me you didn't test. Because like obviously it wasn't tested. And it was just one of those decks that it didn't it it was weird with the way it it it, it sort of uh, interacted with flesh and blood because it felt like you were winning the game in deck building rather than rather than during the game, right? This mm -hmm. idea of like drawing the cards and then revealing them. Um Nevertheless, I will say now in retrospect, Starva might have actually been good for the game. Um, but I hated that thing. I hated it. Yeah, I mean, the argument is that is that it gave it was a good entry point for for new players, and it let it gave people sort of a a way to interact with the game that is exciting. Uh, uh, if they weren't, uh, you know, playing with these very complicated just hyper value decks like icelander right where yeah, yeah. if you're kind of a worse player you just lose 100 percent of the time so there's this argument where it's like yeah starvo allows people to come in and actually enjoy flesh and blood and compete with people they don't necessarily dominate because it's still a skill-oriented deck mm -hmm. like the mirror was tough but you know they do get to win some games and flesh and blood is a game because of how it's based off that equation and you know how the cards are designed you just you tend to lose if if you're if you're the worst player yeah, I think all good points on on star of the show. Mine is Mask of the Pouncing Links. Uh, that card just dominated so much of testing for Leal, and it was just a constant piece of frustration of like, oh, maybe this and this matchup can be no Mask of the Pouncing Links. Just way too much yeah. value coming out of this turn. That that card just it just yeah, hilarious, right? Hilarious. Oh well, I mean, uh, in conjunction with Stubby Hammers as well, it was like you could if we want to talk you know the command cookout question was about value calculate the value of a of a five's equipment that starts on the battlefield 
with Mask of the Pouncing Lynx and Stubby Hammers. It's freaking ridiculous. <laughs> like, Pretty good. Uh, yeah, yeah. Such a such an oversight on that one. <laughs> what about your most loved card of 2022? The card that just brought you the most joy. I'll let you go first here. Okay, well, it's two. I think we've got two sides of the same uh, coin here because mine is Listen and Lava. Played a lot of Kano this year. I had a lot of good games with Kano. And the card that just kept standing out to me, a card that I've always liked, but has just grown and grown and grown as a card that I think is powerful, I think is enjoyable, I think is well-designed, is just, just Listen and Lava. Uh, part of, obviously, Wildfire Combo, but also, you know, a card in its own right that I think is quite enjoyable to play with, leads to a lot of interesting play lines. But uh, I kind of just honorable mention is Amulet of Earth because we played a deck that was so reliant on Amulet of Earth at PT Leal, and I think it just epitomizes the way that our group as as a whole likes to look at the game and a card like Amulet of Earth was so crucial to what we did for a yeah, fun, f- fun fact about Amulet of Earth, you can put it on the battlefield and still 70% of players will not see it the turn after. Well, 70% of your opponents, apparently. Every, dude, it happens. It was happening. Oh, my God. It, that is such an innocuous card because if you don't yeah. play against a class constructed, you're just like, it is so relevant as it sits on the battlefield and threatens actually so much. It's pretty fun. Um, and people didn't have experience against it, so it was crazy. Um, yeah, I love I love Lesson of Lava. That's a fantastic card. And with the agency it gives you over your deck and to manipulate it. Mine is going to have to be Wildfire because, I mean, that is the card of 2022, right? Like, I think if if we had to summarize our, our year in a card, it would be Aether Wildfire. Yep. I think that's a good call. Which hero do you think you spent the most hours playing in 2022? It was Kano for me. It's not even close, is it? Nope. I think not Prism. You played a lot of Prism during the year as no, well, actually. It's still not even yeah, close. Yeah, you played so like, much Kano. Yeah, so much. <laughs> uh, I think mine's Viserai, actually. I actually think I ended up playing more time on Viserai through testing, through events, etc. So it's pretty close. Uh, if you were to sum up your year in 2022, Flesh and Blood, including everything from the content we've done, your pro play, casting, just everything. You've got three words. What are your three words, Brendan? <laughs> I don't have three words. <laughs> I, I just want That's to say five that, words. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I just want to say that I'm extremely grateful for the opportunity to do the things we do and live the lives that lives that we do right, uh, right now with Arsenal pass with flesh and blood. Like it's pretty easy to not, uh, to take, take, uh, take for granted the amount of purpose it gives me. And like, it's been absolutely life-changing and in a very much a positive way. So I don't think I could sum that into three words, but three words, but that is, that is very much how I feel. And um, yeah, I just feel lucky to be able to do this stuff. Agree. All right. Well, Brendan said it so well, I, I feel like I can't say anything. So let's move on to part two. We've got the competitive event stuff. Do you think, my first question for you, Brendan, do you think Flesh and Blood achieved what was expected of it as a game in 2022? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You got to think about where it came from, right? Like, I think that, you know, because it, I would say the quality of event kind of went like this a little bit, uh, coming from PT1. For audio listeners, Brendan's putting his hand slightly down. uh, Slightly down, yes. Um, (laughs) Yeah, uh, I think that if you consider where we were in 2021 and 2020, it was a massive success. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think mostly was, I would say it fulfilled 85% of what was expected of it in, in this year, which is, that's a resounding success, right? That's that's a big portion to achieve. I think if I had to say one thing that is a bit of a shortcoming, it would be on the kitchen table side of the game. I think 
products to market that are for players on the kitchen side of the, the game, you know, players at the grassroots of the game, players learning this game. We look, we had Classic Battles was the kind of mm. premier product for that this year. And I think there's a bit and of a sucks. mess, right? So, yeah. So I think that's a bit of a, something that needs to be addressed in the future, but everything else, OP, like you say, uh, product releases for the most part for booster releases, I think was. was well, since you got to pick a bone, I've got a couple bones as well. <laughs> You're kidding. I'll throw in there. Well, they could announce OP events sooner sure. and give us more notice. This is uh, beating a dead horse at this point. Yeah, James has acknowledged also, that now, right? Yeah. Which is a win. Also, the, di- the Dynasty release was bad. I know that it was out of their control, whatever that means. You know, like, I don't know how much control they possibly could have had um, if they really wanted to make it happen. But releasing Dynasty after the World Championships during the holiday season and having worlds not include dynasty and be uprising. I'm not saying that's because uprising is bad, but it was very, a very still draft format at that time. I think that that was bad, but I think that everybody thinks that that was bad. And it was just something that happened because logistical issues and it's not, we're not under the pretense of like, that was great. We're going to do it again. But um, yeah, I wish that I really wish that we could have gone into worlds with dynasty. It would have been awesome. Yeah. Great. Me too. Me too. Uh, what was the best format or metagame of the year in 2022, in your opinion? It's very hard <clears throat> to be objective on this topic because of Kano. <laughs> like Kano is, you know, it's, it's a wild card, right? But I think that uh, it is the world's class constructed meta. I thought that that was a very healthy meta for a competitive player. Like if you were playing at the world championships, I think it's pretty close to an ideal class constructed format. Many things are viable. You could have played, you know, one of the <clears throat> sort of uh, replacement level top decks, or you could have played a hate deck and done very well. Uh, we saw Jeremiah in the top eights. Um, you know, we saw the Briars. Like Brian, I want to call that. Yep. It was a, it, it was like, honestly, I think it's the best class constructed format. Um, in my opinion, that flesh and blood has ever seen, uh, the only thing I worry about is that <laughs> um, it's just very skill intensive at this point. I think you know, there's not a lot of variance. There's not a lot of this like prism BS, and which it's good for me, but uh, maybe we'll see a change in the future. Interesting. Yeah, I have the, the complete opposite view. I think for the game, like you say, I think that was the best. I think as a player, it's got to be the first format we had the start of this year, which is the Tales of Aria format, which I think was untimely ruined a little bit by the ban with or the errata with briar which i wish kind of we didn't see to that extent but i think that format the tales of aria class constructed and draft format the end of nationals 2021 to into the 2022 season was my favorite format just from the ability just the, the play i thought the gameplay was really interesting i thought they were dicks to target and as much as i think it's healthy with the format we've just had recently uh from a player standpoint i found it a little bit less enjoyable than, than the format of the other year but that's Mm-hmm. yeah it, it i think it could definitely look at tales of aria and say that was a more enjoyable format um some people but, won't <laughs> yeah yeah i mean so, i mean obviously in the beginning there was a lot of people that had an issue with that format because it was just mono mono cheerio briar but uh like i would i actually not like I, I i could get behind that right like i could say that was a more enjoyable format but i would still probably stick with i think that worlds was a better format yeah yep is Flesh and Blood seen as a one-format game due to the issues and complaints we see with both Blitz and Limited and the fact that this year we had a release of just one draftable set? Mm. Well, 
I think that Blitz gets uh, gets a worse rap than it deserves. I'm not saying that it, it doesn't deserve any criticism, but uh, you know, people are pretty rough on it. And I think that there was, at least in the Blitz format that was at the World Championships, there was a lot of compet- competitive integrity in that format. You could get juiced. That's just how it works. Um, but if you look at you know any other popular card game that people enjoy like there's so much more <laughs> of those bs games we've got a few of them um and they they come at an opportunity cost of players playing those decks i would say that um limited this year was really bad for me uh which i hate to sound too critical but uprising staying around for as long as it did completely sucked the joy out of limited for me this year like i didn't like it at all and i liked it in the beginning like i'm not saying the uprising i'm not getting on the bandwagon of saying uprising was a terrible draft format you can only force five all this no i'm just saying that i didn't particularly enjoy that format mm-hmm. because of how narrow it was i felt like it was pretty narrow uh you know i really liked tales of Aria for the different archetypes and stuff um i feel like that had more depth and yeah just being stuck with that for a very very long time didn't enjoy it yeah i agree it's the it's the how long we spent with uprising i actually think the reason i asked this question is because i think it is a little bit it is a little bit pegged as classic constructed is the only way to play flesh and blood properly or purely and i think that's an issue one because i think from a competitive standpoint that shouldn't be the case you know i think blitz might have its issues but i think that format needs to be used in a competitive standpoint in some way shape or form i think limited definitely needs to be i think limited needs to be a massive part of this game at a competitive level, level because that drops down to at a more casual and armory level where draft draft is a great format and it should be one that and sealed and one that should be able to be used at a store level frequently it's great for stores to move product it's great to have people opening cards and product and getting them in their hands and it's a good way to introduce people to the game and i think without that we we kind of you know it's the game's going to struggle a bit so i think there's something that needs to be looked at i hope that you know it looks like we're getting we're getting two limited sets this year i hope that they're Great limited formats i liked uprising but we spent way too long with it so yeah i'm looking forward to outsiders i'm looking forward to hopefully seeing what i think is an idea right now is that we're seeing a lot of class constructed class constructed is uh, that is what flesh and blood is and that's the pure form of flesh and blood but there is so much more to that there's blitz is limited there's upf uh, maybe even we see more support for a format like like clash i think it's a better format than commoner so we'll, we'll see um what is the i want to ask you what is the, <laughs> i like to check all that what is the biggest changes you've seen from the calling series in 2021 to say Lille or Worlds a full year later, and I've got a few things I want you to ask on. First, first player skill. What's the biggest change you've seen in the past 12 months in player skill? Yeah, so obviously they're better. Like any any high level year long pro circuit is going to do that. Um, it's going to make the the. I mean, if you could consider the people to show up to the pro two in the world, world championships, the one percent, it's going to make them better because they are competing in the environment more and they can come through with it and they understand what it takes to be there. Um, Outside of that, uh, yeah, I mean, pe- to answer your question, people are getting better. And, but outside of that, I would also attribute it to Kalashar and online play. I think that's a ridiculous resource for the game. Um, and it's made the better, the, the better, the good players better. But I think that the online resource uh, of being able to play Flesh and Blood Demand has made the average player much, 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 much better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think players are adapting quicker to what defines a meta. I'd be really interested to see us go back to the Tales of Aria meta and the Lightning Brian meta and see how people, how quickly people react to that meta now because of all the things Brendan said, you know, tools available, just players getting better and honing their skills. So I would be really interested to see, would we have the same sort of latency and lag and players responding to that metagame 
than we yeah. did than we would now and i think that is that is a big move on that players have had this past 12 months is that people adapt quickly they understand metas a lot uh more easily than they used to and i think that's not just a not just a result of the metas themselves it's actually a result of the player's skill uh what about the events themselves brendan Mm, I mean, the events are more challenging, right? Like, I feel like uh, pre-2022, I if I went to a major event, like a calling, uh, you know, I would get a couple freebie rounds, maybe. Maybe one, at least, right? One freebie. You know, one guy who just shows up because he's there with his friends or, you know, it's just not that, you know, not that tuned in, is making a lot of mistakes, and I just get my free round. That seems pretty rare nowadays, to be honest. Uh, it feels like you got to work for a lot of your wins, which is I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but um, I think it's indicative of the player skill increase we talked about. Yeah, yeah. I, I took this more from like a, the events. I think being run themselves, but we already talked about this. You talked about it with the events haven't really changed much, which is great. I think that's good from like a a benchmark standpoint. Like like I said, PT one the callings last year in Orlando at Nationals. I thought those events were, were great. They felt good to be at these venues, the community aspect, everything. Um, I just hope that that actually continues and improves in 2023. We move on from mm. Leal and Worlds, etc. Uh, what about the metagames? How have you found the metagames have changed in the past 12 months? We've gone through, what, four five different metagames over the past 12 months? Yeah, honestly, something that I didn't... Pre- I didn't... I wasn't aware of what was happening and... Uh, you know, I just kind of missed it, but it was that the prism was actually the problem all along. Like I thought that prism was a healthy thing to have in the meta because it kept these stupid fatigue decks um, out of the game, right? It, it was a silver bullet against them. But turns out you take out prism, and like those fatigue decks actually don't don't do well, and we end up in this sort of mid rangey format. And I think there's a healthy amount of aggro, there's a very healthy amount of mid range, and there is still control decks as well. Um, so yeah, I just, it, I'm pretty, I'm pretty surprised that, um, you know, ultimately in 2022, Prism was just the, the problem the whole time. Yeah. Was Prism the problem in the Tales of Aria meta? Was Prism the Tales? Well, like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's tough. Maybe, right? Maybe. Maybe, maybe. It did win New Zealand Nationals. Uh, I, <laughs> actually, I agree with you, but on like the flip side, I think Fi was like the most important hero that we've had in Re, like to probably inflict blood to be honest for that reason i think it's an aggro deck that's approachable it has linear game plans it's really hard to fatigue like you just talked about i think that is actually on the flip side of prison being a living legend i think the introduction of fire has really helped to evolve these meta games as well and, and take us into a direction that it's, if you know if prism being living legend was raised concerns about fatigue and things like you said i think fire was the solution to those potential meta games which i think is, is cool uh what about the game itself Bryn? anything the past 12 months biggest changes the game is lower variance than it was before, um, which is good for pro players. But this goes back to my when we were kind of ranting about Starvo. But like, uh, I think that comes at the cost of the game potentially being a little bit boring for normal players. Like, it, it does feel I actually feel less engaged with Flesh and Blood now, even though it has sort of become everything that I asked for. Mm. Uh, like, wizard decks are good. This isla- this, this these mid range decks are very playable. Uh, people are not fatiguing. There's no super BS aggro deck per se. Like it's everything I asked for. But <laughs> maybe I maybe I, I I was wrong, you know? Uh maybe it is fun to have a bit more variance. I don't know. I 
I would I would love to compete in this meta. Like this is absolutely the kind of meta I'd like to to compete in. But I don't feel super. Uh, how do I say this? I don't feel the desire to go and play like armories every mm -hmm. week right now. I know I knew you have played since Dynasty, but let's just say let's just say pre Dynasty. To, yeah, to have it fair. I, I don't feel that in this kind of meta. Yeah, I th I felt the same pre Dynasty to be honest, and all the things you kind of said, I, I echo a lot of it. The, the games are actually more unique, I think, like you talked about, but the turns tend to feel fairly similar and this kind of the emergence of what is this value kind of way of playing and looking at deck building, that, that's happened because that is a good way to look at it in this format post-Prism. That, that is just the truth of it. That's, you know, heap praise on Michael Hamilton. He's the best player in the world and the way he looked at the game to bring Iceland to US Nationals was really unique, right? But I think that's a symptom of what happens post prism and and the way that the game should unfold i just i kind of agree the, the variance went like i'm just i guess like a bit of a curve like we had a lot of low variance during welcome to wraith arcane rising then i think more variance came into the game with monarch etc tales and then it, it really came back down the other side which i think is a, a good balancing but yeah the game has changed a lot and i actually yeah. think i actually think dynasty though has been a really positive thing for that because it's continued with some of the good threads that we saw in the uprising meta i think in terms of you know, a bit lower variance. There's really interesting ways to play the game. Turns are quite unique, but it re removes some of the stuff that I thought was a bit less engaging, like you say. And I think that's D Dynasty is a good way forward. I'm excited to see what Outsiders brings for that for that as well. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a tough one to to really talk about in a way because I, I don't I don't really want it to go back to that. No, neither. Just baloney of those Briar metas, and then it's not good for the uh, game. You know, no. I think uh, yeah in especially as you know as a competitive player and someone that's you know spending money to travel these events and this is like part of like you know kind of what they do that sucked uh like i thought that the meta pro tour Leal was garbage um like absolutely just like almost almost embarrassingly bad for the game um but yeah i feel like this the current state of the game could be spiced up a little bit not too much please not too much please 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 <laughs> well that's what i think dynasty is to be honest with you and i think we saw a little bit like yeah worlds meta felt a little bit the same in class constructors to be honest but i i think dynasty's been good for the game and i think somewhere between the uprising meta and the tales of aria meta is where i'd love us to live because uh, i do agree with you uh we're kind of running a bit short on time i there's a, we've got another few sections but i'm just going to cherry pick some questions that i think uh my favorite questions from this kind of 2022 year in review so on learnings and i guess level ups this year brendan what's been your biggest learning experience personally as a player through 2022 uh yeah it's that uh i tweaked i tweaked decks i talk a lot of ish about people who are deck tweakers and not deck builders because i think it's a cop-out right i think that it's just like a you just are you're you're copping out because you don't want to actually dive deep into the game right and deck builders are deck tweakers that's the argument but i think i found over this year that yeah i mean the sort of symbiotic relationship that me and sasha had was very productive and honestly he would come up with some some garbage and eventually we would get it to something that was playable and then i i would do a lot of tweaking and then it was just like it was a very good it, so i guess i'm just that person and i need to i just accept that and i just have to work with like actual deck builders you know people that uh you know want to think about different brews for 10 hours a day or whatever because that's just not me i don't know i'm thinking about individual cards i'm like ooh, what about full bolt 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I definitely fall more on the side of deck building. That's for sure. Definitely something that I think is more. It does take up a lot of time, though, which I will say. I will say that the thought processes can be frustrating and it is very distracting and not very productive a lot of the time. Uh, biggest learning for me, I think just preparation and putting in time to master game plans versus understanding a format and depth. Like that was a really big sort of like level up for me, I think, as a, as a player. Trying to make a meta call versus trying to understand what a meta will be and just build the deck for that, I think was a big a big change. Um, it's like, I, I had a little analogy. It's like being a triathlete versus being like a specialist athlete. I think like, you know, maybe you're good at a few different disciplines, but is that gonna be the way that you, you know, you, you're not going into, you know, you're not going to play three different decks when it comes to the Pro Tour or Worlds or whatever, you know, in one format. You're going to play one deck in a format. I think you need to be able to master that deck to have yeah. good success. Well, I mean, I think we could probably talk about, like, I mean, just quickly. Of course. One of our biggest mistakes, Pro Tour number two, and I would attribute this, I would attribute this to probably the main reason for uh, our failure was actually... Uh, not getting, not valuing reps on a deck enough. Mm -hmm. Like um, we just didn't get to practice with the deck enough, and we that that's so huge. I think that that's it's big enough to it's like a big enough factor that I think that there's like should be sort of a specific time leading up to the tournament at a you know, specific date where it's just like if you are not a hundred percent sure in what deck you're playing, you should just automatically audible to like a top meta deck and just practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, I want to ask if there's one level up that you wish you could share with all of the Arsenal past listeners and they would go and learn it today, what would that level up be? It's, uh, it's not relevant anymore, technically, but uh, always expect Prism. <laughs> this can be extrapolated to yeah. other heroes in the future here, but that it just never made any sense. Like Prism always looked garbage in these metas, but people would play it. And you just need to realize when there's a hero like Prism, it looks a bit anime-esque. It's got a fun game plan. It plays non-interactive games. It's kind of easy at like a very base level, but very you know, powerful. Yes, very powerful on the floor. Like people are just gonna play that deck. They just love that deck. I mean, Flesh and Blood is a hero-centric format. It's a role-playing-esque kind of game. And even at the highest level, people are going to make that decision. It's like I just play Prism. So no matter what the meta looks like, people are gonna bring decks like that, which is which is fine. But if you're if you're on the other side of that role playing and you're just like a Kano purist and you're like I'm gonna bring Kano, it doesn't make any sense to bring Prism. Just recalibrate and understand that people are you know people are people and they're, they're gonna play the decks they like. I think you can extrapolate that learning to just be a bit more simplistic in your metagame evaluation yes. than I think. Level level one. You don't metagame yourself. That's the god dang we did that so much. <laughs> wow, you did that a few times by playing uh, Bravo, but. <laughs> I think mine just I come back to playing both sides of the table it's just the one thing that I see time and time again people with efficiency of playing both sides of the table and what I mean by that is understanding what their opponent's going to do and what they're trying to do in a matchup they keep getting the results and it just it never fails to be like I look at a game and go well the game is really tight but one player was playing both sides of the table and the other player was doing that less so and I think that is something that has continued to be a skill that if players can develop it they're going to see success in this game so um, I'm sure we'll dive more into that in 2023. We've talked about it in a few pods in 2022. Uh, let's move on to some things about Arsenal Pass quickly. Uh, Brendan, just any kind of... How have you found being a content creator for a full year? This is the first full year of being a content creator. You also dived into the casting world. What have been your personal highlights from this time? Well, uh, the first thing I want to say is that 
uh, like we talked about this actually recently. I don't know if it was on a Patreon part or what, but I feel like when I listen to content creators and I consume content, um, there's like this this disconnect between how much the content creator benefits from the viewer and listener person's attention and like what that does. And I think that, I don't know, like I, I just feel like there was not a lot of transparency for how awesome like it is. Like it's freaking, it, it's awesome. It's great. Like we, we go to the pro tour, um, you got like everybody, people who listen to this, you come up and the things you say to us, like you, you really can't understand how much that means. It's a bizarre human experience, right? Without Arsenal Pass, it's very likely I would have never experienced that in my entire life. So it's weird, right? Being able to travel and, you know, people are kind to us. They'll take us out, they'll do these things. And then, you know, we get the spoilers and we like our, <laughs> the core of our work as well is getting on here and talking about things that we already want to talk about. It's just a very unusual and lucky lifestyle and yeah i just i want everybody i don't know i just feel like content creators don't talk about that enough it's just like privilege yeah it's just that's what it is it's privilege because all i hear content creators talk about and it's not gonna be a rant is like oh somebody said a mean thing to me on youtube like yes that happens it does like that that's just part of it it's gonna happen but the the negative to positive (laughs) sort of um uh the ratios yeah like ratio take the bad with the ridiculous is ridiculously positive like there's apps there's almost nothing to complain about and it's an incredibly blessed lifestyle and um yeah i'm just very i'm very uh appreciative to to be able to experience it very we are very privileged uh that that is very true um yeah i mean just on the back of that i think just the people that we've got to meet this year at these events has been the biggest highlight for me of of doing a full year of arsenal pass we've just had some amazing conversations at at events we've had some heard some amazing stories we've met some of the the coolest people and it's all come about because of because of this because of arsenal pass so it's uh, i'm looking forward to more in 2023 meeting more cool people having more amazing conversations getting a bit more flamed in some comments i'm sure uh but like you said we'll we'll take the we'll take the bad in with the good Well, no yeah, I'm sure people want to hear though. What what kind of content do you enjoy making the most? And also, what does that mean for you in 2023 with flesh and blood content? What are your plans? Uh, so the content I let's talk about the content I don't enjoy making. So currently, the content I don't enjoy making is gameplay, but it's mostly because of a setup thing. Logistical, like, yeah, yeah, logistical. Like just had some issues with cameras and stuff. Um, but I really enjoy the podcasts that are more freeform. So probably the mailbags are my favorite. Uh, obviously, we can't do mailbag every every. every <laughs> we can <week>. try. <laughs> <laughs> we can, but uh, you know, I like I like the philosophical kind of tangents that we are sometimes allowed to take, and then also like that command and cookout question. Like that was an absolute kind of disaster answer from us, right? It was not very concise, but that was us figuring it out on the fly, and that's like that's the kind of convo Hayden and I would have by ourselves like i don't know not live all the time so, in our testing sessions I'm, like yeah or my favorite is before the podcast <laughs> like when we're when we're like yeah it's just it's we're, we're recording at 8 a.m yeah. and then at 9 a.m we, we hit record <laughs> yeah um but yeah i mean that that's that's pretty much it I, that, that's what i enjoy doing uh i i love the podcast i i i cannot fathom ever not doing the podcast um like it's it's a it's a very self-actualizing thing to uh i don't know get positive benefit out of what what basically is you're just having a convo with your friend and yeah 
that's that's not a big ask for me, and I, I can see myself doing this for a very very long time. Who are you calling friend, buddy? Yeah, you know, <laughs> guy. Uh, kidding, kidding. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really enjoy a lot of the content we've done this year. Deck techs and uh, more in depth sort of strategic content, I think is what I really, really enjoy. And the plan is in 2023 to do more of that across myself and Brendan. And we'll, we will do some gameplay. Don't worry, as much as Brendan dislikes it, we're going to fix some logistical issues and we will, we will do some gameplay. Don't worry about that. Uh, any last questions I want to ask you, Brendan? I guess just the last one, I think this is really important, is expectations and feeling for organized play in 2023. Obviously, we, we kind of did a little bit of a brief discussion on it as soon as we heard the announcement, but it was pretty fresh at the time. Now that we we know so far that we've got a we've got one PT, we've got world championships, we've got these kind of blocked off seasons. How do you feel about organized play in twenty twenty three, and uh, what are your expectations? Hmm. So, I guess there's a few ways to answer this question. So, how do I feel about organized play? I'm very very interested to see how they handle the coverage aspect. Actually, uh, it's not because I moved to the casting role, but it's actually because the these channel fireball contract is up. Um, so that's whole production is being handed off to someone else. Will the production go up? Will it go down? Will they still have an emphasis on it? Are they going to level it up? Et cetera, et cetera. I think that's really important for the game as a marketing piece. Like if I am, if I, maybe it's, this is just, I'm in, I'm in, I'm an outlier, but if I'm going to play a game, if I, if I pick up a new game, I, enjoy seeing what the the peak of that game looks like and if there's coverage of a world championship and there's narratives and it's all it's well done like that that makes me want to play that game when it's just like okay i can play this game i can get good and it's sort of just an echo chamber and i just do it by myself and that's that's not that's not that's not fun for me so i think that magic did that really well with all of their their professional content in the past, I think that Fab has emulated that, and um, I I really really hope they stick with it. Um, and yeah, I, I'm most interested to see how they handle that because you know CFB was sort of a one stop shop for that, right? They they just paid them from what I understand, you know, it'd be like a sort of a lump sum for the contract, and CFB has has sort of that system built up um, in terms of like how to run a production at a major tournament like that. Mm-hmm. I think it's a good point. I think, like you, you say, it, it really is a marketing cost. Where does the most traffic for games go? It goes to, generally, the homepage for those games. Uh, if not, you're probably not doing it right. <laughs> you know. And I think LSS has this opportunity to continue to use these pro events in 2023 as massive ways to show off their sets, right? I think we didn't realize that in 2022. You know, World Championships could have been the you know a way to show off Dynasty in a massive way, and I think probably would have bumped sales for that, even given the set came out at the end of the year. But I think that's a massive opportunity in 2023. I'm really optimistic. I think that the idea to run one PT, double the prize pool, focus on callings, have the World Championships, is a really good way to run OP in 2023. Whether they continue that into 2024, I don't think they necessarily have to. I think they can then change it up again. But I think for this event in particular. Uh, this year in particular, I think is a great way to do it as they're starting to implement some improvements and feedback and things from 2022. So I'm feeling pretty good about it. I want to see more callings. I want to play in more callings. Mm, we'll yeah, we'll see how that goes. But, uh, you know, we've said it time and time again. It'd be great to have a bit more info about that, but we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. I'll continue to be optimistic about that, but yeah. Yeah, and it's not even info about like one thing, like oh, give us the dates faster. But it's like info about everything. It's like 
who's doing the production now who's casting it it's what's like, happening what, <laughs> what's happening yeah it's crazy yeah hopefully 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 um they they get that one down because i feel like if you play the if you play flesh and blood professionally and you do put your time and your money and your your emotional effort into it um i think that it's hard to take it seriously if they don't take it seriously enough to give you a good enough notice to facilitate that like uh we talked about this on the last podcast but it doesn't feel like the pro tour when they're just like oh about a month before there's like okay this is the date which is not exactly what they do but when when it gets close to that it's like it's frustrating so yeah hopefully they fix it it's hard for all the aspects of building it up and marketing it and there's so many different things that go into that as well so yeah it'd be interesting to see I, i do think as well product roadmaps and timelines would be a great thing for Alice's to explore you know we talked about this idea of kitchen table fab needing more support and i'm sure there's some products coming in 2023 let's start hyping those up now let's start understanding what a product roadmap looks like we know roughly the two sets i think they could also do a better job of announcing you know hey set you know code name is coming at this point in 2023 here's some already early assets for you know people get excited about and they just keep reminding people having this kind of roadmap i think is something that magic in particular used to do really well i know pokemon have done it really well in the past um i'd love to see more of that yeah i don't want to take you on a tangent but my biggest my biggest concern for fab overall is actually kitchen table i feel like it borderline doesn't exist at this point like i just can't i i can't imagine like what would compel me to play flesh and blood at my kitchen table with like friends or family unless i was teaching them the game like you can play like sealed and stuff like that and if you have really good format i guess it could it facilitates that but outside of that there's no i feel like with the way flesh and blood works and the way these current formats are there's not really a super fun way to engage with the game i know everybody who plays upf is like screaming in their freaking <laughs> in their house by the right now they're like oh you can play upf yeah sure but they need to push that more and support it more, in my opinion. But Kitchen Table is going to be the backbone of this game, probably. So we need to figure out how to push, how it could to be, make that happen. It could be PVE, right? But I mean, we've waited so long for this now for any kind of announcement of PVE. Other than what happens it's not if it ready. Sucks, bro? Yeah, it's not ready. And UPF could also be that way. But I think then there needs to be more support for UPF. There needs to be more driven content from alice's around upf there needs to be a bit more focus on the format itself if they want that to be the format which i have no problem with i think it's it's a great format but it, again you know there, there's issues there with things that aren't being done right now so yeah we'll see i will ask you though when was the times that you did play some kitchen table this year was it maybe classic battles was it maybe uh monarch blitz decks i guess that was yeah. last year so i played the classic battles a couple times mm-hmm. um but I didn't find it super engaging. Um, also, I think that your classic battles was a massive failure, in my opinion, mostly because of the price point. I think that that was not correct. Yeah, I agree. Please don't do that again. Um, Blitz decks, I played them a little bit, to be honest. But my kitchen table experiences with Flesh and Blood and the good kitchen table experiences I have, and this could be tainted by nostalgia, have been with things like the Ira decks. I found that to be very enjoyable back when I played it. And... Welcome to Ray Sealed. I think I felt like that was a great sealed format that had a lot of replayability. Um, so yeah, those are pretty much the highlights for me in terms of me playing Kitchen Table Flesh and Blood. Yep, yep. I would love to see a bit more events like Skirmish. We saw Skirmish. We saw the Welcome to Wraith Farewell events this year. Those those events mm. are great for a bit more great. of expanding on armories, and I, I think those are great for growing the game as well so i'd love to see this anyway we could go on for hours and hours i'm sure there's a lot of other things we didn't get to as well if you are an arsenal pass uh patreon at 
I'll say the plunder run tier, you you can get access to all these notes. There's other stuff here which we might revisit in the future. I think we got through like half of these questions because I I underestimated uh, how long we'd spend talking about these. As always, you know, we, we love to dive in and go on tangents. So if you do want to see those notes, uh, they actually, you know what, they're all going to be available for January anyway. So if you are a Patreon, you, you'll see all these notes. They'll be available. Anyway, Brendan, uh, that's kind of going to do it. Any last things you want to mention before we sign off for the year? No, well, uh, there is on February 19th, if you want to join us for the Austin Marathon, there is a 5K and half marathon available as well. Um, just the best way to get in contact, to be honest, if you want to link up with us, is just join the Arsenal Pass Patreon, which, like Aiden says, basically free at this point. Join on Discord, there's a channel for it in there. Um, and a lot of us follow each other on this uh, fitness app called Strava, which is really fun. Um, I just got yeah. it as well. I saw you got it. I saw you post on your Instagram and then I was like, you freaking, why are you not following me? I didn't know that was um, a thing. <laughs> yeah, it's totally a thing. It's actually a social app. That's that's like the fun part is it's a social app, but the only way you can engage with it is by doing hard things. So like you have to like exercise to like socialize and it's really fun once you get a like a kind of group of friends or people you know on there because... Um, I don't know, just, it feels like a very healthy and organic way to sort of engage with social media. And yeah, they, they track a bunch of data too. That's like cool to, re to reference, but follow me, Hayden. And if anybody wants to uh, link up with us for that marathon, go ahead and join the Arsenal Pass Patreon. Again, it's February 19th. You don't have to run the full marathon, half and a 5k available as well. Austin, Texas. Right, that's going to do it for Arsenal Pass for 2022. A massive thank you to all our Arsenal Pass listeners, our patrons. And uh, we just want to say, wish you all a happy new year. We'll see you in 2023. If you want to follow us on Twitter, Brendan is at BrendanAPG. I'm at Fian underscore Dale. Of course, over on YouTube, we've got a few more deck techs and things coming up over the next couple of weeks in the lead up to ProQuest season, which you can check out. Until next time, Brendan, we will see you in 2023. See you.